Blog Talk Radio. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Zachary. Monday, June 14th, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adults with cancer. Got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Well, get busy living because the Stupid Cancer Show is here change the world one chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's show highlights M.D. Anderson Cancer Center out of Houston, Texas. We have three magnificent guests hailing from there in our survivor spotlight. Daphne uh, Cercato, young adult survivor of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Our friend Marissa Meir, young adult survivor of colorectal cancer. She is the program coordinator for the Anderson Network. And Dr. Anna K. Franklin, the medical director of the Adolescent and Young Adult Program of Children's Cancer Center. He's also an assistant professor of medicine. As a reminder, this broadcast right here, right now, is a program of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation, who would like to thank our major sponsors for making the show possible every Monday. Sponsors like Spencer's Gifts, Azi, Genentech, and Lily Oncology. On the web at i2y.com, we help young adults fight cancer every day. And we're bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs because our generation deserves better. So hello, my friends, and welcome back to yet another fun-filled and exciting romp through the hand tonight's stupid cancer show where remission is not a cure and survivorship is all that matters. And a stupid cancer welcome to any and all of our first-time listeners here, especially you guys in upstate New York from Buffalo. Syracuse, Rochester, Binghamton, Corning, Albany, schlepping all around the state to get to our boot camp, which we'll talk about later. Welcome to the Blog Talk Radio Network and the Stupid Cancer Show, broadcasting live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. I'm Matthew Zachary, a 14-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. Please welcome my official partner in crime here on the Stupid Cancer Show, hailing from New York City, a 15-year young adult breast cancer survivor, acclaimed journalist, former deputy editor of TV Guide, and former entertainment news correspondent for the Fox News Channel, the lovely and talented Lisa Bernhard. Lisa. How are you? How are you, my dear? Fantastic, and I'm happy to be with you all. We like having you on the show. I like being on the show. <laughs> Considering you're my co-host, we like having you on the show. <laughs> and 
we love all our listeners who keep tuning in, which is fabulous. We do love our listeners. It is it's incredible how 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 potent this show is getting, and and I couldn't be happier. So again, a, a special extra shout out to all of our our listeners uh, here tonight, uh, and our listeners who will be listening to the show not tonight, but on our rebroadcast and our podcast. You guys rock. That's right. So. Um, I guess I, I come, I'm obligated to introduce Jack, I suppose. So our chief cancer anarchist and vice president, newly appointed vice president of grassroots programming, Jack Buffard. Hello, Jack. Hi, Matt. You know, I, 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 I'm teetering on referring to you as, as either Baba Booey or the court jester or sidekick. You can feel free to refer to me as Mr. Buffard. Thank you very all much. All right, all right, fine. Mrs. Buffard. We could do Baba Boofy. Baba Boofy. Nice. Yeah. Lisa with the score. Oh, my goodness. Very nice. And, and you, my friend, are Baba Booty. What? <laughs> you talking to me? I sure is. That is so not okay that you said that. I'm like I could say anything these days. <laughs> That's right. Jack no, lost just, his voice. I, I just noticed, actually, you know, this... Um, Last week I saw for the first time Jack's car, and I realized, and this is good for all you state troopers out there who are listening, that um, Jack's license plate is actually Boof 1. Yes, it is. That's correct. Yes, it is. B-O-O-F-1. Or is it B-O-U-F-1? It's B-O-U-F. If I remember remember correctly. So, yeah, so um, we've now given away, anybody who, you know, identity theft or trying to nail you in any possible way, (laughs) given out your license plate. But um, what the hey? It's there are many state troopers that have had little run-ins with the old Booth one. Right. Ninety-nine point nine percent of which I've gotten out of, and ninety-nine percent of which were male. <laughs> so, because Booth one is not just your car, isn't it? No, apparently it's it's, it's little Booth one. I'm sorry. It's like no, but uh, apparently like to Booth or Boofing is like urban lingo for smuggling drugs in your rectum. Nice. Well, that explains everything. That's what Ken, I think it was Kenny Kane that told me that. Good, good for Kenny. Or was it Dr. Schumacher? I can't remember. Oh, no. All right. Well, anyway, I just want to welcome back yeah. to the stupid cancer show. She was absent for two weeks because she's kind of a student that doesn't want to uh, not graduate. She wants to move on to the real world with bills and debt. Uh, our always, always uh, fabulous broadcast production assistant, Young Adult Survivor, Amanda Freeman, is here with us. Hello, Matt. Hello. And Jack. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. And I understand Hi. you just passed chemistry and statistics? Uh, yes. Well, congratulations. Thank you. There's another young person who's smarter than the rest of us. <laughs> they just keep piling up. They pile yeah. up. I just have to make a quick correction. I'm being yelled at in the chat room. It was Courtney Hamilton that explained to me what boofing was. So, Hams, I'm sorry, but okay. you get all the credit. All right, there it was. There we go. Thank you, Courtney, for enlightening us as to this extraordinarily important method of transporting goods and services. Yeah, we're, we're we're glad that we could say rectum in the first five minutes of the show. <laughs> Just stay out of the It's Arizona. not a stupid cancer show unless rectum is in the first five minutes. Rectum? I damn near killed him. Speaking uh... of rectums, how was your week, Jack? Well, it was good, but I was silent for most of it. Yes, you were. Jack lost his voice. It was the greatest day in history. I lost my voice two weeks ago. It was uh, Tuesday evening, two hours after I had a little uh, Superman hero experience where I uh, pulled someone out of her car. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a minute, but I, I wanted to. Uh, you, you can't, that's a hell of a segue there. I just, no, I'm just laughing at it because it, it was, was like 
I pulled this woman out of her car, then two hours later I lost my voice. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that teaches you to help people. But we have, right. a, we have an in-studio guest. We always like to announce our in-studio guest. Uh, she is a uh, sort of a newbie to the I2Y New York City Metro uh, group in the last couple of months, but we love her. She's fantastic. Her name is Karima Batts. Hi, everybody. And welcome back. You were here once before. Yes, back in December, the first day we met. Yes, so we are six months old in our fabulous relationship. I love the Ungala. It was awesome. The Ungala, which we will also be talking about a little later, was absolutely off the hook. Wait, Matt, wasn't Karima the one that like emailed you at like 10 in the morning and you guys connected and then she came to the show that night? I think that was it. Yeah, that was me. Yeah. That was me. Yeah, the woman's a rainmaker. <laughs> I was Googling stupid cancer because I was just so upset that I couldn't find any other young adult cancer survivor groups to join. And I was like, ah, oh, stupid cancer. And I just Googled it and you guys showed up. So that's kind of funny. Well, there you Whenever go. Whenever you Google the word stupid, Matt and I show up. That's unfortunately how it works. That was benevolent of you to leave me out, Jack. Yes. Well, after the SPF 45 comment last week, <laughs> I thought I'd give you a week off. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that, but thanks for reminding me. <laughs> anyway, so before we get to our first guest, we do have to tell the Jack... Six million dollar man slash MacGyver slash temporary firefighter slash Superman hero story, which is so unbelievable, you would not. It's incomprehensible that this could happen to Jack Buffard. But I will, I will give you the stage <laughs> to as dramatically and and and. Uh, uh, well, now that it's been a week, the yeah, story is, yeah. would be grossly exaggerated. No, no. But actually, like, melodramatically tell the story. Last Tuesday was a crazy day for me because I did the radio show with you Monday night, which is a late night for me. I get home at, like, 1 in the morning, and then I was turning around to come back to the city at 8 in the morning because my sister Margaret and I were coming to a a Sarah McLaughlin slash, uh, like, meet and greet slash mini concert or whatever. And then I had to get home because I was going to see Dave Matthews in Boston that night. So get home, you know, get ready for concert mode. I'm driving up, and... My friend was meeting me in Hartford, so I had like an hour to kill. So I was like, all right, well, I'll go to West Hartford and do some errands and do whatever. So I get off the highway, and I'm sitting at this red light to turn left into the, into the parking lot of a mall. And the Subaru Forester comes flying through the air and lands on its roof, like flips over twice, lands on its roof right next to me. So I'm like, oh, that's not good. So I throw my car in park, turn it off, jump out of my car, and I'm the first one to this woman. And I'm on the driver's side. All of her windows are blown out. She's hanging upside down and went through the whole, like, are you okay? And, like, I was really thinking she was going to be, like, this hot, bloody mess. And two thoughts came to mind. The first one was, I can't get my, my massage spa soft little hands dirty or cut or anything like that. Because if I cut my hands, I can't really work. Not that that would d- d- deter me from uh, rescuing somebody. Apparently it almost did, though. But no, but dying, yeah. But it just it just crosses your mind in that split second. You're just like, oh my god, like you got to do this without like injuring your hands. And the second thought was, you know, is is the smell of gasoline in the air, and is this car going to explode? So, I you know kind of like dove into the car, and the woman was hanging upside down. She was okay, just badly shaken up. She told me she was 12 weeks pregnant, which also kind of scared me. But wow. um, couldn't get the door open. But I was able to get her unbuckled and open up the back door, and then in turn, like, kind of, like, flip her over and then just pull her out. And by the time that happened, there was, like, a volunteer fireman that was already on the scene, and all the lights and sirens were on their way. So I, it, 
I, I would say it delayed me like a half hour, but it really didn't because I had like 45 minutes to kill. But what was funny was when my friend did meet me at the mall and we, you know, started heading out, she's like, oh, my God, like, look at that car upside down or whatever. I was like, oh, yeah, about that. Because <laughs> <laughs> at, at that point, they were, you know, trying to flip it over to put it back. Uh, but put that's it, like, the kind of thing where, like, the news would put you on the evening news that night. Or well, I was on the news. No, you weren't. Well, I was, but I didn't stick around, and nobody saw, said that they saw it. So, like, like I just, like, went out of my way because, of course, I had to get to the concert. So, like, I didn't make a big deal out of it, but... There was a film crew there, and, you know, they got me, but I, I was just like, okay, whatever. And nobody said that they saw it, so either nobody in Connecticut watches the news at 6 o'clock or nobody you just, cares. You just, went back, you, you just went back into your phone booth and took your cape off and your tights. and back Right, that's your, right, and put on my glasses. Right, went back and went off your merry way. And then, and then I went to the concert, and, you know, typical Dave Matthews concert, good time, and I got home at 2.30 in the morning, and, you know, just a normal Tuesday night from there. Yeah, but I, I'm really sad that you didn't get the, the sort of Dustin Hoffman, uh, Gina Davis, yeah. uh, Bill Pullman-esque, you know, was it Bill Pullman? Who else was it? Oh, I don't remember. It was Gina Davis. It was Andy Garcia. Andy Garcia. Andy Gina Garcia Davis was the, was like the hero impersonator, but Dustin right, Hoffman was the right. hero. You didn't get your 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 Dustin Hoffman to come up and so I'll just give this to you for a second. <laughs> All right, Jack gets a little ire. The tiger shout out for saving someone's life. Well, I didn't save her life. I just helped her you out. You don't of her know car. that you didn't save her okay, life. Okay, you know what? The truth is, the car was on fire. I was standing in a puddle of gasoline. I had to rip off my shirt. My, my muscles were glistening Ned, in, the, in the evening light. Ned, Ned, Ned Flanders style. I pulled her out, and I was like, oh, oh, is she okay? Is she okay? And she's naming her baby Jack. Okay, there's the truth. Okay. And then the car she exploded was- as I was pulling her away. <laughs> Before Kurt Russell got there with the firefighters. So you think she was okay then, Jack? She was okay, but, but based on the fact that she flipped, and that she was 12 weeks pregnant, they they put the neck collar on her and took her to the oh, hospital. Because because you know honestly, I I was very nervous about even taking off her seatbelt because if she had some type of neck injury or anything related to that, then I can't move her, and I just gotta you know keep her calm until uh, EMS arrives. Yeah. But in, addition to the stupid, in, this, in addition to the stupid cancer show, Jack will now be hosting the spinal cord injury show. Yes. Injury show. Yeah. Well, out. Hey, you know, just one episode of Grey's Anatomy will teach you not to do that. Right. Huh. And, and and massage therapy. School. Otherwise known as I'm too tall for this. <laughs> right. <laughs> Nothing like a spinal compression fracture to wreck your day. But what I did do after they got her off to the side of the road or whatever, there was like a bunch of her crap in the middle of the road, and I found her Garth Brooks CD, and I didn't know if I should step on it and break it or put it back in her car. I figured I'd toss it back. That's in her called car. strategic collateral damage. Right. All right, let's get to our first guest here. We're running late, which is fine, but I'm very excited to have MD Anderson represented on the show tonight. They are a fantastic, absolutely fantastic uh, cancer center, one of the nation's top. And honestly, the origins, the very early, almost primordial soup origins of the young adult cancer movement emanated out of MD Anderson, thanks to Dr. Archie Blyer. So let's cue up our uh, music here. All right, 915. We have here on the air Daphne Cercato, and she'll tell me how much I botched that in a moment, was a 20-year-old attending the University of Texas San Antonio when she was diagnosed with a stage 2 diffuse large B-cell non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. We need more adjectives. Jack, think of, think of them. Blue, rainbow-colored, 
Chemotastic. Chemotastic, Ford Fusion based. Uh, anyway, for treatment, Daphne moved back to her hometown of Houston and received chemo and radiation at MD Anderson Cancer Center. During treatment, she was connected with vocational counselor, I'm not going to pronounce this right either, Sujin Anyi, through the Children's Cancer Hospital's AYA program. Sujin has assisted Daphne with finding college scholarships specific to AYA patients and survivors and worked with her on a career assessment that guided her to her career choice. Uh, she now is on the steering committee for the Adolescent and Young Adult Advisory Council and uh, is really awesome. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show Survivor Spotlight, Daphne Cercado. Cercado. Correct me. Please correct me. You say Cercado, I say Cercado. Well, hello. Hi, Daphne. Hi. Daphne, are you on Facebook? Because I cannot find you for the life of me. I am on Facebook, but my profile is hidden. Boo! As oh, both no, women are from Matthew. Oh. For me. Well, I'm married with two kids, uh, <laughs> so I'm not really threatening. So find me and friend me. I will just add you. <laughs> yeah, just me, no one else. Not Jack, forget that. <laughs> so I think that it's, it's really good that we have you on the show. Obviously, our show is clearly about to share the voice of the young adults, and we like to have the uh, Survivor Spotlight. Um, obviously, getting diagnosed at 20 with the... Uh, Good old-fashioned, the good cancer to have, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, right, uh, right. is, is, is going to be a life-altering stopgap. But I, I'd like you to just talk about, um, and then I'll turn it over to Lisa, talk about where were you in your life at that time and how disruptive to your plan, if, if one can have a plan at 20, uh, I thought I had a plan when I was 20, uh, <laughs> was. And, uh, and, and specifically, obviously, being in Texas, it's a completely different planet than New York City, but uh, talk us through that experience. Okay, well, um, what started the whole um, diagnosis thing was um, I had been having pain in my left arm for, like, I don't know, on and off for a year, and um, it, the pain got to the point where, like, uh, my roommate suggested that I actually go and see a campus doctor at UTSA, which I did um, because it was free, and I was just a broke college student at that time. Um, so I went there, and I was referred to a specialist and everything, and, and that's what got the, the whole chemo and all that junk started. And um, at the time, it was just like, it was such a shock to me at first because, you know, at 20, you're right, you don't have a plan for your life. I was just, you know, a normal college student, um, you know, going to class at, you know, 2 o'clock in the afternoon after waking up at, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning was great. Um, and so it was, just, it was just a huge shock to me um, when it happened because I it, I. I just never thought that something like cancer could ever happen to me because no one in my family has, has ever had it, and that's how I thought uh, people got cancer is if you were genetically predisposed to it. So it showed how ignorant I was at the time, and just you know having having to go through that at 20 was was just really really sucked. Like cancer is terrible, and um, I, I it, it did change a lot of aspects of my life. Like I, I don't I look at things differently now, and so I, I as much as it sucked to have gone through it, I'm actually really grateful that it happened. Um, because if had I been living the same life at 20 that I'm living um, now, uh, you know, things would have been completely different for me. So, Daphne, tell us then how this affected your schooling, and specifically, um, did you apply? Did you work with MD Anderson in terms of um, you, you had some counseling in terms of a potential college uh, scholarship? Is that right, or sort of reassessed your career and what you wanted to do with your career? And I also see if I'm not mistaken, that you then enlisted with the National Guard. Yes. Um, at the, the day walk that us I through all that. 
Okay, the, uh, the day that I had my biopsy was actually the first day of final exams for that fall semester. So I missed all of my exams. I was able to um, reschedule all of them. But, um, you know, mo with most college classes, it's either, you know, it's, it's midterm and final. And so I did well in all my midterms, but with all my finals, I failed all of them because the last thing on my mind was school. So I failed yeah. all those finals. I failed half of my classes for that semester. And, um, you know, I, I asked for leniency from one professor in particular, and uh, the guy still failed me, you know, after I had explained what had gone on and everything. And when I went to go take my exams, I, I, my arm was still in a sling, and I had, like, a huge gauze patch over it. So, I mean, I, it's not like I was lying or anything. And so, um, you know, it's just really, you know, disappointing to see that some professors were just, you know, not, not able to show any leniency. And so that really bombed my GPA. Um, and while I was in treatment, I wasn't in school. So when I started to reapply um, to a local college when I was done with treatment, um, I, I was coming in with a, with a bomb GPA. So the vocational counseling at MD Anderson, um, Sue Jin Anyi, she's a great, 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 great person. Um, she, she helped me a lot with like, you know, in terms of showing me what options I had um, when I applied. And um, she also helped me out with um, the scholarship search and um, what, what different types of scholarships and organizations catered just to cancer survivors. And, uh, and so that, that was a really helpful tool for me. And then, uh, I, so I went back to a community college here in Houston for a year. And then I decided that, you know, like it, it, it just got to be too monotonous for me. Um, and I have a brother that's currently serving with the Navy right now, and so that kind of um, inspired me to join the military. And so wow. this past March, I actually enlisted with the Texas Army National Guard, um, and I ship out to basic training at the end of August. Amazing, amazing. So you, so you were at the University of Texas San Antonio, San Antonio, and then you you went, um, you had with your counseling from MD Anderson, you got a scholarship then, or w part of a scholarship program to a local community college. Is that right? Well, no, no, no. I see with the scholarship programs, a lot of them, um, what the problem was is that, like, for, for um, cancer survivors, a lot of the scholarships offered were for pediatric cancer survivors. And so there really, there really wasn't a lot of choice for, um, for uh, applicants that were already in college. I think there was I only, see. like, two or three that I, I ended up applying to, but so I applied so late um, that I wasn't able to get an award for it. So that's why I chose to go to a community college instead because the tuition was a lot cheaper than um, at the university level. I see. Did you eventually go back to San Antonio or no? Um, I, my parents really, really wanted me to go back, you know, so I could, you know, get back into that uh, that lifestyle. But I just, I really didn't want to um, because by the time the the decision was, um, or, or the opportunity was offered to me, um, I had already, you know, established a life here in my hometown of Houston, um, and I, I was already involved with the Adolescent and Young Adult Advisory Council at MD Anderson, so I made the decision to stay here. Right. So, and now off to the National Guard. So that's so. What's your what's your feelings about that? I mean, obviously you're you like you said you've got a brother in the Navy, and talk about somebody who's um, come back from an illness and kind of grab grab get busy living and grab life by the horns. Uh, that's 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 impressive to then go off with the National Guard. Yes, I'm I'm really excited. You know, like I because I went through cancer, like I feel like I can do anything right now. Um, you know, like I, I I feel like I should be able to push myself to to limits without any regrets because like Where's the military was always something that I. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, you just had to it just brought it I was up. I was gonna say you're gonna run a half marathon. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> no, maybe when I get back from basic training, but I don't know. But um, it's, you know, joining the military is something that I, I always considered, but you know, later on in my life. Uh, but you know, now it's just the opportune time for me to go. Um, I'm in I'm in a spot in my life where I can actually take the time off to go through training and everything. And, I, and I'm not sure if I want to volunteer for deployment next year. I, I'm I don't know, I'm still considering all of that. That's a big step. It is. Um, my my brother wasn't too happy with with my decision, but um, you know, I, I told him that you know it's not his life, it's mine. It's only it's it's going to be me that's living it. So I might as well do something that I want to do now rather than regret not doing it later. Do you think that you would have enlisted in the National Guard had you not gone through the cancer experience? You know, I really don't know. I mean, I, at first I really wasn't considering the Army. I was considering following my brother into the Navy. But I, for me, I just felt that um, the training that's involved with the Army is a lot more challenging than it is with the Navy. I'm sorry if I'm offending anybody out there. I might, I could be wrong. I don't know. But, um, but the Army National Guard was a much better fit for me and, and all the stuff that I wanted, so... So what's your ultimate, I mean, you're somebody who's really fortunate in that you are connected to um, a big, cutting-edge institution like MD Anderson. What's your ultimate takeaway now that you have a little bit of uh, time to step back and reflect on what was key for you, what was most important, what was most helpful in um, getting you through this, what you could recommend to other cancer centers or patients or doctors out there in terms of really helping somebody who... Uh, is kind of the next you go through your situation? Um, the, the key thing for me at MD Anderson is the communication between patient and doctor. Uh, I was fortunate to have an oncologist, Dr. Maria Rodriguez, who was so excellent. Like, the, when I was diagnosed in San Antonio, the doctor that diagnosed me there, um, like, I, I appreciate practical people, but, like, he, this guy, like, put my life in statistics. He told me that I had, like, you know, so much of a percentage of being alive five years from now. You can't tell anybody that. You can't be told something like that and just take it like, oh, okay, that's cool. Thanks. Um, but, but with Dr. Rodriguez at MD Anderson, she, you know, she, she spelled out what options I had. She verified the research that I did on my own. And, and she, she, didn't, she didn't sugarcoat anything for me, but she, she wasn't as brutal as some doctors are, which was, which was very calming for me. Um, she, she's optimistic, but not, you know, like, oh my gosh, I have to sugarcoat this for you to make you feel better. You know what I mean? But it sounds uh, like, it sounds like if nothing else, she made it. She made the experience personal rather than making you another statistic. Yes. Yes, and, and you know, Dr. Rodriguez and her entire clinical team were like that, um, and so it was it was very um, calming for me, and so I, I didn't have any fear going into any of my treatment because I knew um, I I could trust Dr. Rodriguez's word. On it, and unfortunately, there not there are not a lot of doctors that are like that. Yeah. Well, we uh, we really love having you on the show. You're another amazing example for us of somebody who's um, just again who's really got busy living. And we wish you. We thank you so much for coming on. We've got to uh, wrap up a little bit here and cut away to have uh, Mr. Booth uh, do our news for everybody. But um, stay safe with the National Guard and uh, come back and talk to us again. All right, thank yeah, you and, very much. And, Daphne, you don't have to hang up. Stick around because Marissa and uh, our good doctor friend may want to go into some sort of roundtable conversation. So uh, so don't go anywhere. Okay. All right. So, uh, anyway, Daphne Cercato, everybody, thank you so much for being in our Survivor Spotlight. So, and uh, now a brief pause. is brought to you by Cameraman Angels. Be well, number one. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. 
All right, uh, Lisa, Jack, and I are going to talk about a couple of worthy news stories going on in our lives, and we hope that uh, <clears throat> we hope that you find it useful. Uh, a lot of good stuff to brag about, and a lot of good stuff to talk about, and a lot of stupid stuff to mention that happened in the news today. So uh, I'm just going to turn it over right now to talk, have uh, Jack yes. talk about what everybody in the chat room is talking about, which is this weekend's stupid cancer boot camp. Actually, they're talking about my shoes doing a marathon. That is true. So let's let's get a. Let's get something talking on the uh, on the boot camp this summer, uh, this weekend. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, man, that was good stuff. Uh, we we did our stupid cancer boot camp in Rochester, New York, and uh, we had people from Buffalo, Syracuse, and the Rochester area. What did we have? We probably had like forty people, thirty people, forty to forty-five people, maybe fifty when we started. Yeah, but it was good. There was a lot of good uh, good information shared. We had Johnny Emmerman, Johnny as a keynote. Yes, he was. And um, what? What's that? Say whose voice we just heard for the two or three people listening who yeah, didn't, jo- uh, recognize the Be Well Number One that we yes. just played. Yes, there are there are many moments of the show that are sponsored by Johnny. Yes, there are absolutely. This ever moment is brought to you by Everman Angels. Be Well Number One. There we go. That, you know, I knew that was coming. It's at the nine twenty nine seventeen second mark. That's an Ember moment. <laughs> No, but I think the relevance and significance of this boot camp is to put in perspective, you know, we have the uh, the OMG Summit every year that we talked about uh, incessantly for the last month and a half or so. But the boot camp is a way to bring that model of, of uh, sort of managed, structured, informational, fun, and slightly irreverent conference to the uh, sort of the, the more rural areas. Of the uh, of the country, so we don't want people missing out on the opportunities to meet Johnny or to meet Carol Rosenthal or meet Tamika Felder or whatnot, and to gain access to our community. So we put together these programs in local communities called boot camps, which focus on local assets. They bring together multiple communities from hundreds of miles away, um, and uh, this is the third annual. And I think we did a great job because we got people together from Buffalo. Rochester, Binghamton, Syracuse, Ithaca, Corning, Albany, Oneonta, Oswego. It was really just a, a confluence of upstate awesomeness. Um, and folks just understand, Matthew, that we call those are actually cities, but we are in Manhattan, so we call them rural. Well, yeah, they're rural areas by our standards. Um, you should apologize to Leah right now. No, no, no. I know they have plumbing and electricity, but come on, Oneonta... A Syracuse, yeah. Heather. <laughs> I can see some people in the chat room already questioning us. Rochester is rural. Rochester is actually a city. Yeah, I guess. By, you know, don't forget, we have to look at that New Yorker magazine, you know, picture from like 20 years ago, where Manhattan fades into the entire rest of the country, fades into the Pacific Ocean. You know what we should do? Seriously, we should take that whole part of the state, just cut it off, and give it to Canada. <laughs> that. Yeah, we don't need that lake effect up there anymore. Especially Syracuse. Right. Right, right. Stop that. I went to school up in upstate New York. They're fine. So did I. I went to Binghamton. I'm a Wegmans junkie. So Wegmans. Dude, everything in Rochester is Wegmans. What the hell is going on with Wegmans? Wegmans. I ate Wegmans mac and cheese that I found in the back of my pantry yesterday. (laughs) How old was it? Well, I haven't lived in Rochester in a couple of years, so maybe you should guess. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Dude, I, I drove down... Wegman Road took a right onto the St. John Fisher campus and passed the far- the Wegman School of Pharmacy. 
and then went and then passed like five Wegmans <laughs> on the way between like the school and Leah's house and you know everything else. Yeah, it is Wegmans Palooza up there. Wegmans is like Starbucks, except like for it's like the Starbucks of upstate. That is absolutely the worst possible metaphoric analogy one could ever make. Well, you know what, Matt. I'm tired, okay? I didn't get 12 hours of sleep like you did the other night. Yes, I did get 12 hours of sleep. Everyone thinks my ulterior motive for going up to Rochester was to get an, uh, a good night's sleep because my kids are now a little over six weeks old now, and it's 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 getting challenging. I have to give a, a shout-out to my wife. I don't see her in the chat room for obvious reasons. She's probably feeding them or crying hysterically in She's the shower. She's putting pins or, and needles into your voodoo doll. Yes, yeah, she is. Ow! Yes. Yeah. Um... But, uh, yeah, I did get 12 hours of sleep. Yeah, boot camps rock and Wegmans rocks, and uh, that's all good. You know what the highlight of the boot camp was? And, Lisa, you're, you're going to be hearing this for the first time. But the highlight was Leah Shear catching some crap from campus security about the location of some of our boot camp signs. And we actually have a picture of Leah, quote, unquote, under arrest that's in the uh, – in the Facebook group pages. But the best part is that the security guard was Paul Blart, mall cop. <laughs> he really was. He really was. He really was. Um, so anyway, so that was a boot camp. Uh, we raised $17,000 at the Ungala this year, which uh, I guess it deserves its own applause because special thanks to our sponsors and everyone that came out. It was really, truly an incredible night. We call it the hippest night in cancer. We had hundreds of people there. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, and I'm also proud to mention that the radio show hit 84,000 listeners uh, this week, which is astonishing. And uh, Good thing I got my voice back. Oh, God, maybe that's or why. Or the show would have zero ratings. <laughs> We're going to have no new listeners by next week because Jack has his voice back. Yeah. It works well when, you know, when, when Jack doesn't have a mic or his, um, he loses his voice. Isn't that coincidentally when the ratings surge? It is. It, it, it's. Actually, that's not true. That's when everyone goes to bed. What? That's when people shut off the show and go to bed. Because they can't hear your lovely voice. That's right. Well, I also have... Um, Either that or I lulled them to sleep. <laughs> so Jack goes from saving someone's life, Dennis Leary style. Um, Dennis Hoff... <laughs> Dennis... No, what? <laughs> Dennis Hopper's dead. No, not Dennis Hopper. Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman style. Right, right, exactly. Um... Anyway, and, and just as a record for those who are out there, we mentioned this on every show we try to, causeworld.com. Uh, we've raised over $10,000 in two months through Causeworld. Causeworld.com is an app you can download to your iPhone or your Droid or your Android. Um, it's free. It's brain dead. It's brainless. You just use it like Foursquare and we make money. It's that simple. Um, and before we get to our other guests, I really I have to mention just this. I have three news articles that I posted on Facebook today, but one of them just really makes me laugh. And, Lisa, I'm not sure if you stalked my Facebook wall today or not, but there's a story that came out how dogs can now potentially sniff out prostate cancer. Woo! Enough said. Wait, I have a question. Yes. Is that like the the Snossages dog where he's, like, (laughs) running around the house going, Snossages, 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 except he's chasing, like, this old guy down the street going, prostate cancer, prostate (laughs) cancer. I want prostate cancer. It's bacon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's prostate cancer. That's so bad. Well, you know, dog. Sorry, Jack. I, I mean, obviously, this opens us up to 
all sorts of natural punchlines. But seriously, if you think about it, it'll be really the first time that folks will want a dog to sniff their crotch. It won't be embarrassing anymore. That's <laughs> right. Now, is this, dog, is this dog related to the, to the cat that sniffs out people that are about to die at that nursing home? Oh, no. God damn it. You had to go there. You had to go there. So, like, people in this town are like, if that dog comes near me, I should go get checked for prostate cancer. He's the colonoscopy advancement strategy. And is that dog covered by most people's insurance, or, is, or does Medicare just pay for it? All right, that's it. I'm done. Are we, are we done? Can we please get to Marissa? Yes. We, we've, we've got some very serious guests from MD Anderson. I know, out. I know. And there are, there are people from their PR agency listening, too, so... Yeah, they, they might have all hung up by now. That's true. That's uh, true. But hey, maybe the sausages people will send me a royalty. I don't think Be quiet. so. Be quiet, Jack. All right. Oh, boy. All right. Coming up next is the program coordinator for the Anderson Network, a seven-year survivor of colorectal cancer, someone I've known for several years now. My friend Marissa Meir, again, is... Um, Volunteer Service uh, Director of the... I'm messing this up. Ugh. I'm just going to... She connects those affected by cancer to others who have had similar experiences. She recently launched the Anderson Network's newest resource, Cancer 180, which is a program aimed at bringing together young adults affected by cancer in a fun, supportive, and social environment that usually does not involve Jack McCord. Diagnosed at the age of 29, Marisa is a seven-year survivor of colorectal cancer. Good thing she doesn't have a prostate. She doesn't need a dog. And uh, knows firsthand the challenges, side effects, and psychosocial issues that cancer presents to young adults. Please welcome my friend and yours to the Stupid Cancer Show for the first time, Marissa Meir. Hello, Marissa. Hey, guys. Hi, Marissa. Hello, Jack. How are you? I am fine. You are a new hero. (laughs) Really? Yeah, because so I pulled that woman the, out of her burning car and you know, <laughs> yes. put it out with my bare hands. <laughs> yes, yes. So will they be now, because of that heroic act, will they now be naming some tennis shoes after you? Ooh. Yeah, they're actually going to be fireproof. <laughs> and, 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 and they don't go more than 10 feet without, without uh, you know, stopping for a rest. Oh, okay. So that's going to be a whole new set of shoes that Jack's going to have to take pictures of. Jack's right, oh. shoes. For his famous face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Marissa, I've known you God knows how long. Lo- longer than I think I2Y has been in existence. Is that correct? Probably, yeah. Seems like it. Mm-hmm. So, you're 36? 37. 37. Okay, you beat yeah. me by a year. Yeah. Um, no comments about Lisa, Jack. We're being nice to her at the show. Uh, okay. <laughs> you're welcome, Lisa. So, Thanks. um... Obviously, colorectal cancer is something you wouldn't normally consider in a young adult, let alone in the female. Right. Um, I, I want to hear uh, if you were, obviously, we we love to make fun of the people that misdiagnose you and give you Robitussin for brain cancer, which, as everyone knows, is what happened to me. But, again, <laughs> talk us through that. How do you go from, oh, something hurts, to you're a young woman who's 29, you have colorectal cancer. Right. Well, at that time, I was uh, working for the American Cancer Society, and um, we had a support group that met in our offices, which was the colon cancer support group. And 
for probably, gosh, I'd say maybe about a year, I had been experiencing some very interesting uh, symptoms. Um, you know, the the most concerning one being um, blood in the stool, and it just got progressively worse. But I, you know, my job was quite stressful. I was um, you know, coordinating fundraising events and was so focused on meeting that you know dollar goal that I just kind of kept passing it off as well. It's probably stress related. Um, and I got invited to come and speak to this uh, colon cancer support group, and it was right around the time that uh, ACS had published a new health education brochure about, you know, the symptoms of, of colon, colon cancer. And as I'm sitting there kind of tuning in and out, you know, and, and kind of half listening and half not listening to the speaker, uh, in the meeting I'm reading through this brochure and I'm going, oh, <laughs> Oh boy, I uh, <laughs> here's some symptoms that I've been experiencing. And one of my dear friends uh, who worked there had just had a colonoscopy herself. Just uh, you know, just to she was a, a patient education um, uh, rep out in the community and wanted to have one done so that she could you know um, know firsthand what it's like and thoroughly educate um, uh, you know the uh, people out out in the Houston area. And so I I spoke to her about it, and she said, you know, you really should go and get that checked out. And then, of course, I came home, and my husband um, made an appointment for me. I think it was like the next day. Um, so I, I went in, and the doctor was, uh, you know, very, very dismissive um, because I was 29 years old. He said, you probably have a tear somewhere, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's nothing. You really have nothing to worry about. And I said, well, you know, I, I don't think so. Um, I really, you know, would like <laughs> for you to perform a colonoscopy on me. Um, you know, and I'm not asking <laughs> for this for, you know, pleasure or anything. <laughs> I am really concerned. My husband's very concerned, and we want to do this. And, uh, and, and it took a lot of going back and forth and, and me being, you know, just very forceful and, kind of demanding and saying, you know, well, uh, you're going to do it. You know, there's really no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You're going to do it. And so he, you know, was not too happy with that, but he just, you know, kind of said, well, fine. Okay, fine. Um, so they scheduled me for, for the colonoscopy, and um, I think it was probably about a week later. It was on a Friday, and that weekend, waiting for the results was, I mean, it felt like, you know, forever. Um, I was on pins and needles because after the procedure, he came out and told my husband that they had found something, they were um, going to biopsy it, and they would get back to us with the results. So first thing that Monday morning, you know, we're, we're both on the phone to his office and, um, you know, asking, you know, about every hour, when are we going to get the results, and finally... A little after lunchtime, um, I did get the call from him, and it was um, it was a very nonchalant. Uh, oh yeah, it's uh, we got the results in, and, and it's cancer. Let me have you speak to my nurse. <laughs> and I, you know, my jaw was on the floor, and I was like, uh, you know, wait a minute, what? He says, yeah, it's cancer, but let me have you speak to my nurse. And I was put on hold, and that was the last time I ever spoke to him. So um, very traumatic, uh, I, you know, it was surreal, and I was kind of having like this out-of-body experience, and 
what I didn't know was that my my husband had already spoken to uh, to someone in his office, and they had given him the results, which is interesting because you know HIPAA and everything, but they gave him the results anyway. And the next thing I know, I look up and he's standing at my office door, and you know, and he's bawling, and I'm still kind of in shock. Um, so the next next four months were uh, just a whirlwind of chemo, radiation, and then surgery. Um, to remove it, and then a little more chemo just to be on the safe side. But um, I did have a temporary colostomy bag for a month, and at 29 years old, that's that's just not cool. <laughs> it's not cool at all. And um, talk about feeling very isolated um, and, and scared and having some major, you know, uh, body issues. Uh, I had them all. And it, it was it was very hard for me to go out socially, uh, and then add on top of that that I just didn't know any other 29 year olds with colon cancer. So, so it was just, a very lonely just, time. Let's just let's just recap this quickly here. So he he was resistant to giving you the um, the colonoscopy, which you had to push for. Right. And, like be very forceful about that. So you finally got that. You get the results, which did not come to you first, technically went to your husband first, right. which is another no-no. Mm -hmm. And then you finally get him on the phone, and he just nonchalantly says, oh, yeah, it's cancer, puts you on hold and says, talk to the nurse. Mm -hmm. um, Pretty much. So, by the, so and this, where, was this, um, where was this treatment that you had started out with this doctor? Um, it was here in Houston. It was a, a, a private GI practice um, that uh, uh, another doctor had referred us to. And, uh, you know, at the time it was just kind of like, okay, well, I trusted that doctor to send me to a good doctor. And that, unfortunately, did not um, end up being the case. So, um, Do you want to tell us the name of that first doctor who diagnosed you? Um, I, I, I'd rather not at this point. <laughs> yeah. That um, might be smart because we know that uh, doctors really listen to young adults. Right. <laughs> Um, so, so then tell us. Then at that point, you um, sw switched, and well, how did you take it from there? Obviously, you were on the you were on the search for uh, a new physician entirely, correct? Right, right. I, um, my husband's family knew a, a proctologist who, <laughs> coincidentally, was named Doctor Butts. And, uh, they, that is yeah. awesome. It's that awesome. is the greatest name in history. Ever. Did he have a Did he have a yacht that said Ass Man on the back? <laughs> oh, no. For all you Seinfeld people. No. <laughs> he didn't. But um, but you know he was a great man. He um, you know I mean with a name like that, come on, you can't go wrong. And he had actually was his first name Seymour. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I did ask that a lot. <laughs> no, his, uh, his name is actually Do uh, Donald Butts, and he's uh, just a great doctor. He um, had operated on um, Ronald Reagan, in fact. And so I thought, hey, well, hey, if he's good enough to operate on a doctor, he's good enough for me. Um, so he turned out to be uh, just, you know, my lifesaver. Um, him along with my oncologist, whom he referred me to, and she had trained at MD Anderson and then opened up her own private practice. Um, and she, you know, she was wonderful. Like I said, they were both my lifesavers. They came up with a, a great treatment plan for me. 
um, and tried to do as, as little damage as they possibly could, um, you know, to any of my other organs. Um, and then they were wonderful. So, so tell us great. about all. So tell us about you um, or instrumental. Now, were you one of the founders? You launched Cancer 180, which is part of MD Anderson, which connects young people. That's right. Tell us about how that came about and, and what your goals are there. Sure. Um, when I started with the, with Emmy Anderson and, and working in the in a department called An- Anderson Network, we, um, you know, I caught, was kind of taking inventory of all the different support programs that we had, and, and at the time we had about 15, um, and was looking at the many different ways that we were reaching uh, patients and, and survivors and caregivers. And while we were reaching a lot, they were all they all seemed to be you know age fifty and over and i I started thinking you know how how can we reach the younger crowd um Our largest program is a a patient and caregiver support line, so we do you know the one on one telephone matching, but we only had maybe a handful of young adults um in that um in that that database of of, of telephone support volunteers. I thought, well, you know, and they weren't getting, uh, you know, their, their support wasn't getting utilized very much because we weren't getting the calls. And so, you know, I was thinking <clears throat> personally, I don't know that I'd want to get on the phone with a complete stranger and just start talking about, you know, these issues that I'm going through. And um, and so it was around that time, you know, I, I started learning about uh, Planet Cancer and I2Y and, uh, you know, I think it was the Ullman Fund, and, and you know, I said, well, yeah, you know, utilizing social media is really the way to go now, and, um, and so, you know, and I hadn't, I hadn't really had a lot of experience with social media, so speaking with my director, we, you know, came up with a plan and said, well, let's, you know, let's create something online where we can reach this younger group, and then maybe expand it a little bit more where, you know, they actually meet in person. And and it kind of took off from there. I worked together with a couple of, of my coworkers, and we put together <clears throat> some informal focus groups, uh, which consisted of a variety of um, uh, survivors and caregivers of different, you know, ages between 20 and 40. And we picked their brains, and it was... I think it was like the second focus group, and we met up at a pub, of course, because that's you know where we want to be. So, <laughs> so, um, so you basically did you you did you did pub sort of focus group tested what this organization yes. should be. Right, right, that's and we right. you know we took their suggestions, and one of them just kind of you know blurted out, "Why don't we just do this? You know, we're hanging out here together and we're connecting and and networking with each other. Why don't we just do this?" And it was like, well, duh, yeah, ding, ding. of course. My <laughs> fault. And that's how it was born. Um, that's, that's 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 as good a story as any in terms of sitting around in <laughs> a pub and this is a good thing and uh, all together and and uh, and bonding over this and and we we would love to. I'm going to turn it over to Matthew because we would love to um, bring in Dr. Franklin from MD Anderson as well to. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so stick around because you guys are all going to, I would like to make the next like maybe 20 or 30 minutes of the show or 15, 20 minutes of the show, you know, a, a collective roundtable. I'm going to go back to the idea that MD Anderson really was the sort of the um, the Garden of Eden of the Young Adult Movement with Dr. Archie Blyer. 
and you guys pioneered a lot of data that finally gave some credence to uh, not just the rhetoric that we deserve better, but real public health, you know, impact that could be made by doing changes within these structures of clinical trials and tissue banking and, and, and survivorship clinics and planning. So uh, let me bring out uh, Dr. Franklin here. Um, okay. Here's a good theme for her. We need more doctors like her, so we got to keep believing. We do. Okay. Is she, po- she born and raised in South Detroit? We're going to find out. Dr. Franklin was not... <laughs> Dr. Anna Franklin was not raised in South Detroit, but she did miss her train. <laughs> she is a board-certified internal medicine uh, practitioner in pediatrics and pediatric hematology and oncology with a focus on treating leukemia and lymphoma, Jack's specialty. Her clinical interests lie in the study of biological differences of cancers in adolescents and young adults, my old job, as well as improving the supportive services and social programs for these patients during and after their treatment. And she is an active member of the Livestrong Young Adult Alliance Steering Committee, so she knows Lenny and Archie and Brandon and the old crew there, uh, who I guess we'll be talking about, um, which, again serves to improve the lives of young adults with cancer. And she's also a founding member of the aforementioned Adolescent and Young Adult Advisory Council at MD Anderson. Uh, She earned her medical degree at the University of Texas Medical Center and uh, completed her pediatric oncology fellowship at Sloan Kettering. So she's she's a Midwestern, bi-coastal New Yorker person. And we like her. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Dr. Anna K. Franklin. Hello. Well, after that introduction, we only have five minutes left of the show. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> you know, I told the Gabe group, you know, 30-second intros, and they love you so much, they sent me information that would be indispensable to leave out of your descriptions. Exactly, exactly. So, Dr. Franklin, we love you. I love you. For many, many reasons. <laughs> Not the least of which is that you're drinking our Kool-Aid and you're a great oncologist. But, the, but second only to the fact that you really care about the cause and that our generation matters, and you're not part of the system that is in denial of the need to foster change that seems impossible. So um, I guess, you know, starting out at such a improbable measurement <laughs> of expectation, uh, why don't you let us know a little about uh, what shifted your focus or through medical school or through your subspecialties that steered you towards wanting to sort of differentiate the AYA community from pediatrics and that value. Sure. So I, my residency training was a combined residency training program in internal medicine and pediatrics. So I learned, you know, how to treat young patients, how to treat old patients. Um, and during that time, um, really enjoyed sort of the adolescents and young adults, which most people don't. <laughs> Um, because they can be challenging. Um, And at the same time, I was doing my residency at the University of Texas in Houston, and I rotated through MD Anderson. And when I did rotate through MD Anderson, I was exposed to Archie Blyer, and um, the AYA uh, movement was just getting started. Um, They had their first AYA conference um, when I was a resident, which I was able to attend. So I think that really started and sparked my interest. Um, And then from there, 
um, when I applied for fellowships, I looked at applying to programs where I could do both the medical oncology and pediatric oncology. Um, and the way things worked out was I ended up um, doing pediatric oncology at Sloan Kettering, but um, was exposed there to a program where, um, you know, the adolescents and young adults were treated by the oncologist with the most experience with their tumor. Um, so while I was a pediatric oncology fellow, I was treating 20 and 30 year olds with Ewing sarcoma and osteosarcoma. Um, so my training sort of exposed me to it and I, you know, it piqued my interest and I've just sort of gone along with it from there. And we commend you for it. Thank you. Lise, so, you had a question? No, I was just, um, so in your bio, as we as we uh, mentioned, so you're interested in sort of looking at the biological differences between adolescents and young adult cancers. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And so is there a way sort of in layman's terms for the rest of us who aren't doctors um, <laughs> where you can sort of break that down in easy terms just to know how to differentiate that and how you um, separate the two out in terms of how you treat them and how how you counsel them? Sure. Um, I'll talk about acute lymphoblastic leukemia because I think this is one of the first diseases where we did notice the difference between young children and older patients. Um, and it's also one of the diseases I treat. Um, so it was noticed on the children's oncology group trials that adolescents, meaning those um, about 15 and older, um, had a much um, worse outcome than younger children treated on the trials. So um, Dr. Blyer and Dr. Nachman and several other people went back and looked, and um, they looked at certain things and they realized um, that their outcome was worse and they wanted to see how we could make it better. Um, so one of the things we realized was that children have certain things that put them at lower risk. Some of it's just age, um, and that makes up sort of some of the unknowns um, that and if I could, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but if I could, if I could bring in, um, uh, bring back Marissa for a second, I, I had a really interesting question for the two of you, uh, in that you know, you the value of treating young adult patients um, is rewarding enough, but when they come back to work with you or for you, is it, it how? It, I, I see it as very self-rewarding, but when doctors who care about young adult patients get young adult patients that are cured that come back to work for them. You guys are really making some magic here. Could you just, the both of you, could you talk a little bit about the balance between, you know, the clinical aspects of what you're doing as far as biology and tissue banking and studying causality versus the survivorship, the social components, and how that interplays within the grand scheme of what MD Anderson is trying to accomplish? Marissa, do you want to take that on? Or? Actually, well, I'll let you go first. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I think, you know, doctors 
sometimes think we know what's best for our patients, um, but I think a lot of times we don't know. Um, I think as I have more experience treating young adults, I learn things, obviously, but at the same time, Marissa and the other patients that are on the advisory council um, teach me new things every time we meet. Um, it makes me a better doctor, um, and it also helps us, um, you know, develop our programs so they're more appropriate for our young adult patients. Um, one of the issues that came up recently was with transplant patients, um, and some young adults are treated, get their actual transplant on the pediatric floor, um, but then we'll go back to a doctor that treats um, older adults with transplants as well. And we're trying to find a balance between those services um, to see how it can best serve the young adults and not just what's best for the doctor and what's best for the institution, but what creates the best experience for these young adults that are having to undergo bone marrow transplant. Right. I I agree with, uh, with you know, what Dr. Franklin was saying earlier. It, it, having survivors as employees um you know that's such a wealth of knowledge there and and then you know working with uh our volunteers who are survivors and and you know the young adult uh patients on on our advisory council i even though i went through a certain set of of issues um there are still you know others who went through very different ones and so i too am still learning uh you know about other issues that come up and and it's great because you know we we communicate with each other on facebook uh or they'll email me and and they share with me what it is that they feel um really has value and and, and a positive impact on their lives and so I, you know, I take that uh, into serious consideration, and that that helps me to to develop and, and improve on you know the programs that that I have, and especially on Cancer 180. I'd like to bring Daphne back on for a second because you know this is like the holy trinity of of my wish list of what can happen at major cancer centers to provide the influence that other clinics need to make happen. We have a lot of uh, people in the chat room saying, "Jesus, why doesn't my cancer center do this?" And we can go back to you guys and say, this is how it's supposed to be done. So, Daphne, uh, you were recently brought into this mess. Uh, your your mess was recently brought into this goodness, I guess I just say. And now you are working with Marissa, and, uh, and you are also um, working with Dr. Franklin. Can you talk about the value of that this program has brought to you? And do you have a sort of a compulsion now to ensure that as many young adults in Houston – specifically know about what you're doing? Um, when I was asked to come on board with the, um, with the advisory council back when it was still called a work group, um, I, I pounced on it right away just because, uh, you know, as a young adult going through cancer and being treated at MD Anderson, you know, I, I was over 18, so I was shuffled off into the, you know, with the, with the rest of the adults. So, you know, going, going to the lymphoma clinic at MD Anderson um, every week, you know, I, I felt kind of weird because everybody there was maybe, you know, 20 or 30 or 50 years older than me. So, so it was really uncomfortable. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, a lot of young adults that get treated at MD Anderson feel the same way because, you know, we're shuffled off into everybody else. We're just, it's like, it's like we're almost disregarded completely as a, as a young adult population. Um, so 
you know, with doing the work that we do with the advisory council um, for adolescents and young adults, it, it, it's just really satisfying to know that you know some you know work is being done to change the way that young, uh, young adults are treated at MD Anderson, um, and just now you know with with as, as much work as we're doing and the results that we're getting, um, it's. It's, it's good to know that, you know, the, the baby steps are being taken right now to change the future for uh, patients coming in later on. So what's the key, all of you, in terms of, like, what's, what's the nugget in terms of the key for communication? Um, Dr. Franklin, you were saying you learn so much from your patients. If, if you could say one thing, one nugget, what's most important that you learn from uh, your patients in terms of keep, keeping those lines of communications open, and the flip side, um, the other two of you who've, um, you know, been patients and now moved into more advisory roles, if you could answer that as well. Um, I think, you know, each patient is obviously different, but I think, you know, what a lot of them want is to know that they're not the only ones out there that are going through this. Um, and I think one of the ways to do that is to connect them um, in different ways. You know, we're not at a point at MD Anderson where we have an AYA clinic or we have an AYA inpatient unit. Those are obviously goals that we have, but um, instead we're doing things like Cancer 180, um, and we had a conference for young adults with patients, and it's really connecting them in different ways, um, and again, for each patient, what they feel comfortable with, I think, is different. And what about for, for, for you as a doctor when so many um, young patients, they'll, they'll want to connect, as you said, with the other young patients, but there's also that attachment that they'll feel for you as more, you know, as, as a healer. <laughs> and how do, you, how do you balance that, and how, does you ma how do you manage that as somebody who obviously as passionate as you are and cares about your pa patients, um, but you're, you're the caregiver and you're the doctor, you're not the mom, you're not the sister, you're not even the best friend, and yet you are sort of a counselor. Is that, is that a, does that get tricky for you to, to walk that line? It can. You know, I have one patient that um, calls me mom, and it's, it's a joke. Um, but on the other hand, it's not. Um, right. Because she doesn't, have a strong maternal figure in her life. Um, so it's, you know, it's a fine line, um, but, you know, I, you have to set boundaries, obviously. Um, but the other thing is I can refer her to different places to help her get those needs met. Right. Um, and what about, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm just about the other two, I was going to say to chime in as well just to say what's the, um, for for for, uh, for Daphne and Marissa, the key to sort of unlocking that communication um, with your doctor, what would you guys suggest? I think it, it, this sounds this may sound so simple, but it really resonates with the uh, you know patients that I inter interact with. Um, especially new ones who you know just hear about Cancer 180 and call me up and want to know more about it. You know, I, I, I always tell them, I know, it sucks. It sucks. I've been there, and I know, and and I totally get where you're coming from. And you can almost feel, 
or in here that sigh of relief, like, God, finally, finally somebody knows <laughs> that, that this sucks. And, and just, you know, reiterating and, and stressing to them that, that yeah, we, you know, we know where you're coming from and, and we are taking steps to try and make it even just a little bit better, whether it's, you know, going out to uh, a bar and hanging out with other people like you or just sitting here and, you know, maybe chatting over Facebook about how much this sucks. You know, we're here. Yeah, and and embracing embracing the suckiness of it all rather than, as you said, exactly. As you said, right? Sure, exactly. Embrace the suckiness. <laughs> all right. So my question is, in, in terms of the larger picture, you know, obviously hospitals have to work within their own means, but are you able to quantify? I, I know you the answer to this, but are you able to quantify the value by which you bring to the young adults through surveys? And is there something within that that you think could be portable to get other cancer centers to adopt? For example, how hard is it really? And be honest, I'll, we'll start with the doctor and then we'll go to Daphne and Marissa. How hard is it really to convince and then convert a major cancer center to adopt the best practices of serving the young adult community? Um, it's a fight I fight every day. Um, and... Some of it, you know, some people, you can show them the data, and they say, okay, I get it. Um, and then you show some people the data and say, well, but we're MD Anderson. We're different. Um, you know, we're better than that. So, you know, I think it, it remains a challenge. Um, you know, what we try to do for our patients is, send them to the oncologist with the most experience treating their cancer um, because that's um, what's going to serve them best in the long run. But at the same time, we provide them with other psychosocial services um, outside of that sort of clinical realm so that they can also have um, a good experience as a patient. Um, so it's you know, it's challenging. Um, it's a fight. We fight every day, and we'll keep fighting. Now, Marissa, I know you're you're all fired up. You're one of, like, the fiercest folks I know. Um, <laughs> you, I mean, I want to take a torch to some of the cancer centers that just are so ignorant to the need of doing this, and the precedents right. that are being set just aren't enough, really. Um, so what are, you, what are you out there doing? I mean, I'd like to see Cancer 1A to really serve as this model of a hospital-originated platform that you right. guys can do this. You don't need us to come into the into the community and, and do bar nights. You're already doing it, and we could just help you promote it. So obviously the barriers of promoting alcohol and over 21 and, you know, mm -hmm. social things. How do you go get around those, and, you know, do you talk to other cancer survivors at other clinics? You know, <clears throat> it, it's... It is kind of hard to, and it's, you know, it's a very fine line that we walk when, you know, we want to promote getting together at a pub or, or a, a bar. Um, so so that's, that's a little bit challenging, but I'm, I've been very fortunate in that, you know, my superiors, 
understand, and especially because, you know, they've got an employee who's a young adult survivor, and so they, they understand what issues I go through, and um, and they kind of, you know, give me a little bit of slack <laughs> on the rope, uh, on the leash. <laughs> but um, I, I've not actually had the experience yet to uh, approach other cancer centers and 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 really talk to them about you know how to how to start up uh, a support program for YAs, but I'm I'm hoping to have that chance in the near future. In that we are uh, my director and I and and along with Dr. Franklin and, and some of the other um, you know staff within the institution are working on a proposal to hopefully secure a grant to take Cancer 180 and turn it into a, a survivorship symposium slash workshop down into South Texas, uh, the Rio Grande Valley, where there are, you know, way, way less resources for YAs. And, um, and you know, we're hoping to work with uh, the University of Texas Pan American down there uh, in the McAllen, Texas area, and um, in some of the, you know, there's a children's uh, hospital there. And... You know, I'm hoping that through working with them, that will, you know, kind of light that fire and and get them thinking about it and, and see how it's really, really not that difficult to do it. You know, you just get a few like-minded people who, who feel, you know, that they need this type of support, and, and there you go. You know, it'll take off running by word of mouth. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that and, and, you know, just kind of, hoping that, that we do secure this grant because I, I really would love to take this uh, program and, and, you know, show others that there are resources available for them. Um, and, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's sometimes just as easy as, you know, finding another young adult survivor and just hanging out with them. And Daphne? Oh, well... The thing with with uh, you know working with the advisory council, you know, bef- before that, I just I I was um, you know really ignorant of the the process that that one has to go through to get um, certain things done with the hospital. So you know when we have our meetings, we you know there's a bunch of great ideas going around. Um, I just I just was not expecting um, you know the number of outlets that we have to go through to ac- accomplish like little goals and stuff. But you know. Like I said before, it, it is pretty encouraging to see that the you know the small steps are being taken now, so we can take the the bigger leaps later. Well, uh, there you go, Lisa. You have anything to follow up with? Well, I guess I would just say. So, what's the um, what's the future? Is there anything else? Is, is there? Well, I mean, we, we think of we think of MD Anderson, of course, as being cutting edge, um, such an esteemed um, cancer center in general, and of course, what you're doing for YAs, AYAs that we've been discussing. Um, if Dr. Franklin wants to take this, is there something sort of, if you look sort of five years, ten years down the road, is there, a, is there a goal in sight or something that we should tell folks out there that you're all, that you're working on? Um, I mean, I think our goal is to have um, an AYA clinic. A, that would be um, in you know, come about is and what patients would be treated for at that AYA clinic is yet to be known. Um, but also, um, also an AYA inpatient unit. Um, 
we're opening some new um, hospital beds next year. Um, I don't think it's going to be next year, um, but I think that those are the big goals because we know that it's important for young adults to know that there's other people there and they shouldn't have to go looking through, you know, 30 and 40 different inpatient units for the other young adults on the floor. Um, yeah, what are the odds of lopping young adults together in the same cluster, huh? <laughs> it's challenging. It's something I've been <laughs> working yeah. on. Um, you know, I think one thing we're going to try to do is start with a small patient population like the transplant patients. Um, and we'll go from there. You know, it's, as Daphne says, there's a lot of layers. There's a lot of bureaucracy um, in terms of getting things like this accomplished. And then we sort of have other people that want the same things and other services that want the same things for their patients. So, um, you know, we'll keep fighting and um, see how we can best serve them with the resources we have. You know, we're, we're out of time, but I really want to conclude this with a thought, and this is, this is something I get asked all the time, is like, where are you really going with any of this? And ultimately, our goal, of course, is to save lives and improve quality of life, but it, it can be summed up as simply as this. We're not quite where we'd like to be, but we're a hell of a lot further along than where we used to be. Uh, the fact that we're on a talk radio show about young adults discussing MD Anderson, the nation's leading uh, Sloan dispute that, but the nation's leading, you know, uh, <laughs> cancer center uh, that has a young adult program that's fighting for it every single day, that has meaningful outcomes and measurability, and that's growing, is a conversation that just simply would not have happened even two or three years ago. So we're making progress, and it is small steps, but I think the louder we stomp our foots, uh, our feet, our foots, did I our say foot? Uh, shut up. Shut take, up. It, take it out of your mouth have, and stop I have it. Two six week olds, shut up. You got 12 hours of sleep the other night, <laughs> which was eroded last night, by the way. You know, that we, we're not where we'd like to be, but we're far along much more than we, we were. So I, I think you guys are the epitome of, of the gold standard of, of reaching for the stars uh, through an institutional setting that can be a little more, uh, you know, stick in the mud and bureaucratic than others, uh, other processes. But I, I really commend you on what you're doing. And uh, by all means, let's put together some great event where we don't have to have Jack come out, but anyone else besides him can be there uh, to, uh, Wait, to, what? to shut up, to rally the troops and really, really congeal and solidify that movement out by you guys. Definitely. And I've never been to Houston. Is it hotter than Dallas? It's hot, uh, hotter and more humid. All right, Jack, you're going. Do they it's still have a problem? Better to come and visit, say, January, February. All right. Let's, let's plan for a post-Christmas Houston visit. Okay. Unlike, unlike Rochester and all the other cities in upstate New York, we won't call it rural, even though we're from Manhattan. <laughs> Everything is rural west of Jersey. I'm sorry, folks, except maybe <laughs> Chicago and L.A., but that's about it. <laughs> Remind me where Syracuse is again. <laughs> But in all seriousness, I can't thank you guys enough for making the time to be on the show. Um, very meaningful. We we really like it when institutions are doing the things we like to see happen uh, rather than just being dependent on small nonprofits to try to make some change. So congratulations all around. Kudos to you guys, and uh, take care and be well. Thanks thank for having me. Thank you. Thank all right. you much. All right, guys, take care. We've got Daphne Sercato, Marissa Meir, and Dr. Anna K. Franklin from MD Anderson Center. What a great show we had right now. Um, so what's going on? 
Jack, uh, Lisa, nothing. Nothing. I'm just still reeling from our awesome boot camp that we just had. That's just because you got attention. I did get a little attention. You did get a little attention. <laughs> and, I, and I was well fed, so it's like... Must you scream into the mic when you get excited? Dude, I, I'm trying to project the voice that I don't really have. Okay, fantastic. What's going on? It's 1019. I, I think our viewers might uh, might need to uh, to school night. Yeah, everyone's gone to sleep already. Well, Leah's long gone. Yeah, Leah. Becca's long gone. Heather's fading fast. Yeah. And now, our, now, our, now our guests are gone, and God knows nobody wants to keep just listening to the three of us. No, I would agree with that. Well, maybe yeah. you and me, Lisa. But I think the only one who's, who's planning on staying up all night is Brutal. And my kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right, folks. Well, uh, thanks Bye. again, guys. Um, we'll see you next week. And now it's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, Internet. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, folks, that's tonight's show. I hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. I'd like to thank our guests. From M.D. Anderson, Exciting. Daphne Cercato, Marissa Meir, and Dr. Anna K. Franklin, live in our studio, Karima Bats. Oh, you're still here? Shut up, Jack. Next week's show, get this, folks, Andrew McMahon from Jack's Mannequin. He's going to be on the show. It'll be a huge show. In our Survivor Spotlight, our old friend Jill Harrison, young adult survivor of lung cancer, and one of Andrew McMahon's biggest groupies. All right, if you've missed any of our previous shows, check out the archives at stupidcancershow.com or search for Stupid Cancer on the iTunes store. Remember, folks, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer. We'll see you all back here, my friends, live from the chemo deck. Jack Buffard, Lisa Bernhardt, Amanda Freeman, Captain Stewie, and I wish you all a pleasant week. Go to bed, Heather. Fucker out. Won't hurt anymore.